submitted for your approval, a relatively free and prosperous republic marred by Marxian and Leninist revolution masquerading as a struggle for racial justice and national liberation? Today we examine South Africa's twilight from freedom to tyranny. This is Anarchy in America with Christian Gomez. pleased to have Alex Newman, the foreign correspondent of the New American Magazine, with us here today. Alex, thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you. Thank you, Christian. So, Alex, uh, you've been covering South Africa for years now, close to 10 years in the New American at least, possibly even more than that. But most Americans probably don't know that what's happening right now in America, it's already happened and is happening to a greater degree in South Africa. So can you tell us how South Africa went from being this prosperous nation in the 1980s, very similar to the United States, not exactly, but very similar, to being in the situation that it's in today? A little bit of the background there. Well, the the long and the short of it is it was taken over by communists and totalitarians backed by what the average American today, 75% of Americans, recognize as the deep state, uh, the, the power elites, the shadow government behind the scenes. And they used tactics and strategies very similar to what they're using in the United States right now. Uh, always communist strategy involves deception. Uh, it involves taking real and imagined grievances, and there were real grievances in South Africa, that's not to say that there weren't, uh, taking those, weaponizing them, and using them to drive a wedge between people and to advance their objectives. And so we're seeing almost a, a replica of the revolution that took place in South Africa in America, with some distinctions. You know, the communists have always recognized that um, different nations, well, I shouldn't say always because Marx didn't necessarily recognize this, but after the Soviet Union, they tried in Western Europe with their revolutions and they realized it wouldn't work the same way that it did in Russia. So they realized they needed to come up with different strategies depending on what nation they were working in. In South Africa, the obvious issue to seize on was race. Apartheid, right? Exactly, yep. And so they, they seized on that issue and they basically said, your options are uh, racism and apartheid or communism. And they didn't say communism. They said national democratic revolution and uh, self-determination, national right. liberation, all the euphemisms that the democracy, use. freedom, peace, you know, all, all the same deceptive terms that don't mean what you think they mean when communists say them. And, um, you know, the rest is history. Now, South Africa has entered what they call the second phase of the National Democratic Revolution, where they really dropped the mask. And they say, hey, now we're just going to take your stuff. We're going to take your businesses. We're going to take your farms. We are going to, as they put it, uh, take control of the key commanding heights of the economy, by which they just mean, you know, now is the forced expropriation of property. Now the, as they call it, the radical second phase of the revolution comes about. Because, you know, they had to convince the voters of South Africa to relinquish power and bring in this new regime. And, they and how exactly did they do that? So in, here in the U.S., we see the, a lot of white guilt used to get white people to be out in the streets and protesting for the Black Lives Matter cause. In fact, if you look at a lot of photographs of the Black Lives Matter protests, you see a lot of white people, a lot of white women protesting with the signs, white silence is, is, violence. is violence, exactly. <laughs> so is that what happened in South Africa? Uh, that, you know, how did the ANC, the African National Congress, come to power when they had no power in the 80s and were considered a terrorist organization? Yeah, that's very similar to what they did, Christian. They, um, the ANC, first of all, needs to be understood as an arm of the Soviet Union. Now, it didn't start that way. It was gradually taken over. 
but uh, they they used this uh, racial tension that existed. Um, you know, the, I, I guess first you need to kind of explain what the apartheid system was because you know it, it's gotten so blown out of proportion now that you have people who actually think it was like Nazism or something. Um, it wasn't a nice system, but it, essentially it had something in common with the American system of Indian reservations. You had Dutch immigrants who started arriving in the Cape in the 1640s, and they came from a Western Christian society. And so they built a Western Christian society on the Cape of South Africa. Now, there was no black people around at that time on the Western Cape. They were, you know, over 100 miles into the interior. And um, so what happened was they set up kind of parallel civilizations. And what happened under apartheid, the British government actually laid the foundations for this. They said, you know, there's a lot of different people groups. When you say the British government, meaning the British government in the UK, not the, the imperial British government. Okay. Yeah, that, they, they were managing um, the region of southern Africa. Uh, and the Boers had their own little republics for a time. Uh, the Boer and the Boers are the... The Afrikaners, the, the Dutch who speak uh, Afrikaans. And uh, Boer just means farmer. So they were kind of Dutch, descendant of Dutch, Scandinavian, German, Lutheran, Belgian. So essentially the white people in South Africa of British and Dutch... Not necessarily sense. British. Um, the, the British and the descendants of the Dutch have often been at odds. Now, depending on who you talk to in South Africa, some will include the British among Afrikaners because Afrikaners is just kind of like Americaner is what the Dutch would call Americans who immigrated to America. But um, but there is that distinction. And so the British imperial government, they kind of set up this, uh, where they laid the foundations to set up this system where each people group was given its own homeland. And, and that's what apartheid essentially was. So you had different, um, they call them homelands for the different people groups. And some of those still exist today as independent nations. Uh, Lesotho is the homeland for the Zoto people, and they have their own king. They're independent from South Africa. They're not part of the uh, the unitary state that is South Africa. Same thing with Botswana. It's the home of the Tswana people. Uh, same thing with Swaziland. It's the home of the Swazi people. You had Zululand, which, of course, was absorbed into the unitary state that is South Africa, uh, with a lot of opposition, by the way. The, the Zulus were incredibly hostile to the communist takeover. And, in fact, there was multiple instances throughout South African history where the Zulus and the Afrikaners allied, uh, including, for a time, against the communist takeover. But what the uh, ANC did was essentially uh, backed by the deep state in the West, by the Rockefellers, by the Council on Foreign Relations, by the U.S. State Department. I mean, the U.S. State Department was pouring money into these subversive groups going clear back to, you know, 1950s even. And um, they basically tried to create the impression that they were these moderate Democrats and, you know, we just want to end the system of— uh, That they're not communists like they did with Fidel Castro in absolutely, Cuba. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, they, they tried to sell that. And, and, you know, nobody really believed it. I mean, Nelson Mandela and the ANC were put on our list of terrorist organizations here in the United but States. Anyway, this Nelson Mandela— Right, standing there with Joe Slovo. With the leader of the Communist Party of South Africa, Joe Slovo, and the— Doing the communist uh, salute there with the hammer and sickle behind them. Yep. And, and it's in, incidentally, after Nelson Mandela died, both the South African Communist Party and the African National Congress not only admitted that he was a Central Committee member of the Communist Party of South Africa, they bragged about it. And, of course, Nelson Mandela lied about that his and, whole life. And, of course, the ANC, as you've mentioned in many of your reports, is actually controlled and led by the South African Communist Party. And before we started this interview, you mentioned uh, um, an early draft that was leaked about uh, from, of Nelson Mandela's autobiography. Can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of communist... Uh, connections in that in that draft. Yeah, that was interesting too. So we we did get a, a leaked version of Nelson Mandela's original autobiography, 
and it openly promotes communism. It openly praises Fidel Castro. It openly advocates violence as a tool for achieving communist revolution. And, uh, and I mean, that's right in line with what Mandela would go on to do. He was actually the leader of the MK, which was the terrorist wing of the ANC, what they called the armed struggle wing. And so these people were, were setting uh, roadside bombs. They were uh, blowing up nightclubs and shopping malls. And, and all this was done to intimidate the people, divide the population, but of course, to neutralize the opposition. Precisely. Um, and, and can you focus a little bit about how the ANC, Mandela, and the SACP, the South African Communist Party, how they neutralized the opposition to silence the uh, sort of the, the, the status quo that existed before to accepting the ANC's you know, and communist rule since 1994 onwards? Yeah, so they, they actually, you know, the, um, the apartheid government could have probably lasted indefinitely. Um, even with global sanctions, the U.S. government imposed sanctions, the United Nations imposed sanctions, the Soviets were big on, on sanctions. So they, they had basically isolated South Africa to the point where it was a global pariah. Yet the South African people, they had created everything they needed. They had nuclear power. They had uh, their own weapons factories. I mean, some of the most advanced uh, weapons ever were being produced. They're incredibly good military hardware. Their, their military was second to none. Um, but the international pressure got so much, the South African people were kind of told that you're a pariah, everybody hates you, uh, the only way you can, you can undo this is by surrendering power and allowing this new system to come in. And so, you know, again, there was serious problems with apartheid. There was, uh, you know, a system of uh, you had to have internal passports if you wanted to go from the homeland into a, a different area of the country. So it was, it was almost like these independent countries, and they had, you know, strict uh, regulations for people of one race working in an area of other races. And so, you know, it was kind of strange. But when, when people look at South Africa and they think of it as a nation, they're fundamentally misunderstanding what South Africa is. It's many nations who happen to occupy the tip of Southern Africa. Like the United States. What? A melting pot of many different cultures and ethnicities. Well, South Africa wasn't so much a melting pot. Um, these people kept, their, I mean, the Zulu people, they still they speak their language. They kept their autonomous right. cultures. Yeah, and, and I mean, they still have their old tribal leaders, although they don't have much power um, under the ANC system But the now. ANC have tried, has tried to destroy those traditional cultures and just create this new sort of black power, black identity right. that's against the, the Boers and white farmers and white people in general. It, it, that's right. So it's a unitary state now, and public, you know, the, the communists always need an enemy, and now the enemy is the, they call it white monopoly capital, is the term that they use. And they're not really against, quote, white monopoly capital. They're not talking about the Rockefellers. They're not talking about the Rothschilds. They're not talking about George Soros. They're talking about the farmer who maybe has got a couple hundred or a couple thousand uh, hectares that he's, you know, eking out a living under these that crazy That they claim was stolen taxes. from them when, in fact, those lands, as you mentioned earlier, when the Dutch and, the, and then later when the British came, those lands were, un, were not inhabited before. They were uninhabited On the lands. Western Cape, that's yeah. right. They had uh, the Hottentot people, and they had a good relationship with them for a long time. Um, but, you know, and, and different parts of South Africa, the land was acquired in different ways. Uh, one of the really interesting stories that, that I think is so fascinating about the history of South Africa is when the Voortrekkers, the Afrikaners who trekked to the interior of the country to try to escape uh, British oppression uh, met with the Zulus. And there was a Zulu king called Dingane, or uh, Dingan, depending on uh, what pronunciation you use. And uh, this guy was absolutely monstrous. He was one of several rival Zulu kings to the throne. 
And so he told uh, the Vortrekkers, hey, if you guys get me back my cows from another uh, tribal leader, I will give you a grant to all this land. And you guys can settle and you can have farms. You can do whatever you want. So they did. They got back the cows. They brought them to him. And uh, instead of upholding his part of the deal and giving them that land that he had promised, he had them all impaled, uh, including wow. children. And... Um, Pretty unbelievable. And so then uh, the surviving Vortrekkers went back and they regrouped. They actually allied with another group of Zulus with a, a different uh, rival. And took the land that was promised to them. Yeah, and then they went back and, and they uh, defeated uh, King Dingane. So it's it's. So there's a really long, complicated history there. It's, it's incredible. Not the black and white picture that we're so, so to speak that's that's presented by the media, especially in South Africa. Oh, white man came, stole our land. Now we gotta kill the farmers, like the leader of the EFF or the. The, was Julius the, Malema, yeah, yes. who used to be the leader of the ANC Youth League. Yes, which is a militant communist organization in South Africa. And he's one of the leading voices of uh, this whole the black man got to take over the white man's kind of land uh, rhetoric that's being used in South Africa. Now, going back to the, how things are in the United States, we have the whole Black Lives Matter revolutions going on in the streets against the you know against police officers and against capitalism. If you're looking at their signs. How does this relate to what's happening in South Africa now and then? For example, we're seeing the statues being toppled in the United States of not just Confederate monuments, Confederate soldiers, Confederate generals like Robert E. Lee, who, by the way, was a great Christian person. Never mind that, but we're seeing statues of Abraham Lincoln, um, even the name Woodrow Wilson being taken down from Princeton University. Not that he's a saint, he certainly isn't, but all these historical figures that are white, not black. How does that relate to what's happening in South Africa today? Is that same pattern occurring there as well? That same exact pattern is occurring. And so, you know, as we started off earlier in the program, we talked about different strategies for taking over different nations. In America, and also in South Africa, trying to use uh, class warfare was much more difficult. Uh, America is so incredibly prosperous that, you know, to try to tell poor Americans that they're oppressed and that they need a revolution to steal other people's wealth. It's just not a, a, a reasonable selling point. Your poor person in America has you know two cars in the driveway. They've got multiple color TVs. They've got iPhones. They've got uh, internet. They've got cable. They've got air conditioning. They've got more living space than your average middle-class European. So to tell them, oh, you're poor and oppressed, it's like, nah, no, that doesn't really work. And the same thing was true in South Africa. South Africa was far and away the most prosperous uh, nation on the entire continent of Africa. I mean, it, there wasn't even a close second. So South even Af under apartheid, black oh, South Africans had a higher standard of living than, than, than some anywhere of else on the continent. You know, liberated black nations that were essentially already you know Soviet puppet states throughout Africa. Millions of black immigrants were pouring into apartheid South Africa. Uh, so, you know, again, this notion that uh, it was like Nazi Germany is absolutely ludicrous. Millions of Africans. Just like immigrants. in the United States. You know, the U.S. is this evil, racist, imperialist country. <laughs> and yet, yet everyone wants to be here. Everyone wants to be here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they, they demonized uh, South Africa so much. And, and I think it's uh, along with Rhodesia, which also has been similarly demonized. Rhodesia and South Africa probably had the best. You know, I shouldn't say probably. Definitely had the best human rights record of any government on the entire continent. No question about it. And for those watching, Rhodesia is now Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, yeah. So we saw how well that communist revolution there worked out. Again, help from the same people, Henry Kissinger, uh, Jimmy Carter. They could not stand the idea of Ian Smith, the, the leader of Rhodesia, of Rhodesia um, who declared independence from the British uh, Empire. Not not because he wanted to. I mean, he considered himself a loyal subject of the Queen, and uh, but he was forced into it because they basically said, um, you know, you will either accept communist slavery or uh, we will destroy you. And so they said, well, we, hey, we got to declare independence. But he was not a racist. In fact, uh, black people and white people were allowed to vote in Rhodesia. 
But, you know, there, there's also this factor, and it was true in Rhodesia, and it was true in South Africa, and it's true of the American people as well. There's this ridiculous idea that's, I think, really prevalent in our society today, that when Dutch immigrants arrived in South Africa, that when uh, British and, and other European immigrants arrived in America, uh, or, or when British arrived in Rhodesia, that they should have just set up a quote-unquote democracy, and set aside for now the fact that our founding fathers thought democracy was a terrible form of government, but that we yeah. should have just set up a, a democracy with the peoples that were found there. Um, it's self-evidently ridiculous if you think about it. There, these are two cultures that are completely different in every respect. You know what they found in South Africa? They didn't have a wheel. They didn't have a, a two-story building. They were worshiping, worshiping ancestors. Some of them were engaged in cannibalism. They were sacrificing pagan people. rituals, and precisely. So forth. Yeah. And, and to, to try to have a democracy with a culture like that and reform Christians right, from Calvinist Christians from exactly. Holland who you know were going to operas. And, I mean, it's just inconceivable. It's ludicrous. It'd be like um, you know setting up a colony at Plymouth and hey, let's have a democracy with, with the Cherokees, right? Then no, right? They're completely different societies, completely different cultures, and you can't just have a democracy, have a, have a unitary state over them. And that's what's happened in South Africa today. Um, and, you know, it's when you stop and think about it, it's obviously ridiculous, but people don't stop and think about it. So one last question. You've seen what's happened in South Africa. You've written about it for over 10 I years. I lived there, yeah. You, and you have lived in South Africa. So what warning would you give to the American people um, uh, with regards to Black Lives Matter and everything that we see unfolding in the United States, what would you tell the American people right now? There are direct links between the two. In fact, the Nelson Mandela Foundation really re just recently encouraged Black Lives Matter in America to use violence to achieve their political goals like the South African communists did in South Africa. Uh, there's even the same spirituality behind it, believe it or not, this pagan witchcraft that we've talked about. Uh, You've written about this in the New America. I have, yep. And uh, you know, they're, they're literally talking about how they're summoning spirits, they're summoning ancestor spirits that are working through them. So I mean, it's the same pagan, communist, hybrid monster. And the same violent tactics of Mandela, the necklacing, yep. and all these tactics to silence the white majority into accepting communist uh, oppression. And it's all based on lies. That happened in South Africa is happening right now in the United States. That's right. And it's all based on lies. It has nothing to do with protecting black lives. If they were interested in black lives, they'd be protesting outside of Planned Parenthood. right? It's, I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, and the same was true in South Africa. You know, they, they don't talk about anymore the, the black opponents of communism, the Zulus, for example, who fought so hard. Uh, and there's countless black Americans who love our system. So it's, uh, it's a disgrace what's happening. We must resist. Thank you so much. Thank you, and God bless. Thanks. You heard Alex Newman. We must resist the same fate of South Africa and Rhodesia here in the United States. Both education and organization are key to exposing and stopping the same tactics used in South Africa from metastasizing here in America. To learn more about what's been happening in South Africa, we recommend that you purchase and download the PDF copy of the November 5th, 2012 issue of the New American Magazine with the lead cover story, Genocide and Communism Threaten South Africa by today's guest, Alex Newman. And if you have not done so, consider membership in the John Birch Society. Until next week, God bless.